Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-2-2022, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have this uh, evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength. Father, we pray for uh, traveling mercies for those who are traveling, especially Fred and Brenda in particular. So also, Father, we pray uh, as we open our uh, our study this evening, we pray for those who are sick among us. Uh, I bring up uh, Gretel, especially, Father. You know the circumstances with her. We pray for her, her family, all those involved, that know her as well. Also, Father, we pray um, for your continued guidance and direction uh, in our lives as we navigate these waters of uh, difficulty in this world. Thank you for those who uh, are uh, in our circle of influence, and we pray that we could be an impact in, in, uh, in their lives as far as the gospel is concerned as well. All these we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are we are studying in the book of Romans, and we're at verse 24. Uh, we're going to get there. And just as a reminder, we're going to just mention that the website is out there, wordistruth.com. Lots of resources. Please take a look and see what interests you, and we'd love to hear your feedback on that. Wordistruth.com. So we'd like to move right on into Romans. Uh, just to note, we are thinking we're going to have some time later this, this evening for some Q&A, so uh, whatever your questions are, hopefully we might be able to answer if depending on what the question is, I guess. But we, we would hope to be able to answer your, your questions. So right after we go through uh, Romans 11 and 24, which reads, After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, <clears throat> how much more re readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So, in your notes, God has two approaches when it comes to the salvation of man. First and foremost, it is God the Holy Spirit. He is, it has been His job since man fell to ensure there is an inside witness for God in this world. <clears throat> Genesis 6.3 Second, God planned for believers who have received salvation to complement the Spirit's work on behalf of man. The second part of the, of the plan was formalized in the nation Israel. Officially, <clears throat> God planned for Israel to be part of the ground force and have a role in the eternal plan of God. This plan has moved forward to this hidden age in, in which we now stand. In the church, we have been given this role in the world while Israel is sleeping, or as the apostle says, quote, 
a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day, unquote. That's Romans eleven eight. So we have come almost to a pivotal point in Romans chapter 11, where we will eventually begin to talk about what happens at the rapture and going forward and some of the relationships that we have in this world with Israel. Interesting verses, which we have pivoted to often to answer questions, to talk about what's next. <clears throat> Paul lays it out for us. So we have this text before us. So I think it's an important uh, thought to have a correct understanding of how God is managing Israel. What, you know, some beliefs are that Israel is over. Uh, in fact, I was reading some things today online about how some think that uh, we're grafted in, which means <clears throat> the promises that were given to Israel are now the promises that are, are in the church. They sort of just blended the whole thing together. They said, they said, but hold on, but we're still Jews and they're still Gentiles. It's not, there's no mixture there. I was thinking, boy, well, what about the scriptures that talk about we're one? And there is no Jew and there is no Gentile. I mean, how, how could you say that without even referencing that scripture? to Say, well, it, what it means. But anyway, uh, that was their view. And I thought, wow, interesting. So... How you understand Israel is important because God wants us to properly orient to what his plan is and understand it. So, so Romans gives us this good detail about what God is going to do with Israel, how it all will work out in the end. And that's going to be interesting with these last verses in Romans 11. So let's dig in to verse 24. First phrase, after all, if you were cut out of a, an olive tree that is wild by nature. So the after all goes back to the previous verse, you know, where the thought was, let's go, let me go to Romans 11 in my notes here. So yeah, so this goes, and, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again, after all, right? So that, it goes from that previous thought that God will continue to graft in Israel or Jews, actually believing Jews. This is why I say if they believe in this age, he will be able to bring them back into this role. That's, that's the thought. That's where, where the verse begins, after all. So point B, ultimately, God created Israel out of Gentiles. And when I say that, you know Abraham was a Gentile. And he created Israel on the, the backs of choosing sovereignly Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you can follow that through the scriptures because that is how God created the nation Israel. Uh, using those, uh, what we call patriarchs of uh, 
that we find in the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are important people in the scriptures. So, but notice, Abraham was a Gentile at one point. And so he is the progenitor, you could say, of the Jewish race, the father of the Jewish race, not the progenitor. So by God's hand, he groomed and equipped Israel for this role. And when I say by God's hand, I'm talking about his sovereign choice. And we went through a lot of this thought where Paul was trying to demonstrate to the Jews that God called this new creation in Christ and they were, they were foreknown, they were predestined. All of these things happened to us so that now uh, we, here we stand as uh, the chosen people of God. And the Jews react to it violently. We must say because they crucified Christ and and they you know pursued vigorously all of those who believed in Christ, as we know the Apostle Paul was one of them. So he groomed Israel, he equipped Israel, he gave Israel everything that they needed to perform the role that he wanted them to play, and God, Israel was foreknown. Israel, God used the same words for Israel. However, they have different, we have a different purpose than Israel had. But the same words are employed for us as was Israel. We are adopted. They were adopted. We are chosen. They are chosen. Called. All that. Same terms. And yet, we have different, a different purpose than they do. So, God did this, uh, uh, especially... So it would be a part of his overall eternal purpose. Let's keep going. Point C. Wild by nature. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree, which is wild by nature, this refers to the Gentiles and their participation on the ground. Right? So what, what do we mean wild, right? We, we're talking about how God took from a cultivated olive a wild olive tree, because he's talking about an olive tree. But he's saying uh, that the olive tree could be either a wild olive tree or what God would consider a cultivated olive tree. We'll get, we'll get to that thought. Because Gentiles are said to be cut out or grafted in from a wild olive tree. And that is to say that it wasn't groomed or cultivated like uh, Israel. It's also considered an olive tree, but it's cultivated. Okay? So it's taken care of, it's groomed, it's all of that. And so, and God equipped, that speaks of, and obviously this is a metaphor because olive trees were prevalent in the Middle East where Israel was. In fact, olives and olive oil became a huge part of uh, Israel's uh, uh, production and how they sustain themselves through. Uh, even, even to this day, it's huge. Olive oil is it's big. So, point C, so it's wild by nature. It refers to that. It refers to the Gentiles' participation and how 
God used Gentiles even before um, Israel came about. I and mean, how do we know? It's just through families and word of mouth. That's how the gospel was spread in the world. It wasn't uh, a nation before Israel came along. It was So this while by nature is referring to that thought that it was... It wasn't officially a nation of God that said, hey, here it is. This is what it's all about. Uh, I'm going to invest in this nation. God did, he did invest in families, just like he came to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave Ur. And Abraham left. So, but that was a family. And so other families, I know you can think of Job and and if you go back to the antediluvian world, you can talk about Noah and all the different people that uh, were on the side of God that went through the world. Now, there weren't, there weren't nations per se, but it was like word of mouth. And that's what we mean wild by nature. It wasn't actually organized. But point D, God organized and made Israel official as the one source of God's salvation in the world. One nation to represent God to the world of nations. Now, actually, the word ethnos means nations. It, it is also the word for Gentiles, just to note. <clears throat> so, so that's, when we talk about the wild as opposed to cultivated, you know, that's what we want to make the distinction. Wild, well, that's Gentiles and how it was prior to Israel. Cultivated Israel. Let's keep going. Point number two. And contrary to nature, well, let's say the whole thing. Uh, and after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. So here we go. You got the wild tree and a cultivated olive tree, right? And so the ones who were wild by nature are grafted in. So let's dig into this a little bit. <clears throat> Contrary to nature, using a nature uh, using nature as an analogy, the Gentiles were not officially called to this role, but in Christ, and for the first time in human history, they have this role in the church. So th that's something really to think about when you think about it. it's contrary to nature. Why would, and I, you know, I, I, I'll just read it. I have a reference here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Let's look at that quickly. Um, and then we can entertain my questions, right? <laughs> but the way Paul is saying it here is just raises questions in my head. We'll, we'll talk about it. So let's read verses 2 through 12 where he talks about this thought. Uh, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So notice he is detailing the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And how, what God has done in this age, how he has combined the two groups, made one new man, one new person out of the two or entity. And we, we know that's the church. So it's interesting as we work through some of the ways that Paul is referring to the Gentiles without God, without hope in the world. And notice here, contrary to nature. So when he's saying this, obviously we're using nature as an analogy and the Gentiles were not officially called to this role. So really this role does not belong to the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have a role Right? When we say they didn't have a role, we, we must always say that, uh, that, I think that goes to point C, which we're not at yet. Of course, the Gentiles were not forgotten by God. They were the mission field, right? supposed to be the mission field. However, the Jews, or Israel, we should say, didn't uh, cooperate with God when it comes to grace and bring the gospel to the Gentiles. They separated themselves and the gospel that they preached was either become a Jew, uh, be circumcised, and follow the Mosaic law. That's the only way you could possibly be saved. And that's echoed in Acts chapter 15, where you see the Jerusalem Council come together and they are discussing these very matters. So interesting, what we Paul says, contrary to nature. So as far as this world is concerned, God does not have two groups. In his vision, Israel is in this role. When I say this role, I mean his priest nation to the world. That was their role. It is not our role. The fact that we are playing this role temporarily, but we will give it back to Israel when... Uh, we're done. So this role belongs to Israel. This is not our role. That's why it's contrary to nature. Uh, and, and obviously he's using that analogy. And what does he mean contrary to nature? That's, mean, that's like taking uh, a wild olive shoot or tree or branch rather and grafting it into a cultivated olive tree. And that's why it's not sort of natural. Right? And that's why he's saying that this is how it is with us. That's what happened. We were grafted into not Israel, because when we come into uh, the olive tree, we're not into Israel. But olive tree represents visible representation of God in this world. And that is now the church, not Israel. So it is a role that is represented by the olive tree, although Israel owns that role, as we will see later. Point B, God used Israel to reveal his righteousness and justice 
and his great salvation that can never be said of any other nation. <clears throat> we think of that um, when I say it's, it distinctly belongs to Israel, where God planned to use Israel as a priest nation to the world. He invested in Israel. He gave them the law. And all of the feast days, and which we I'll just mention what they are later as we get to it, but he, he established them. He told them what his righteous standards were. He un, they understood what salvation was and why there needed to be salvation, how through animal sacrifices he demonstrated that there was going to be substitution, right? You confess your sins on an animal, and the animal loses his life. And uh, so animal sacrifices depicted the cross and all these ways that God demonstrated who he was and how he was righteous. And, and, and this was the only way to, to actually have a relationship with him is to, to go through uh, this particular way through animal sacrifices. So um, no nation is, was ever based on these principles were God invested in them. And that's important to note. And point C, of course the Gentiles were not forgotten by God. They were the mission field. But when we think about what God did in Israel, no Gentile nation did God ever focus on and say, yes, I'm investing everything in this nation. There, This nation speaks of me. I gave them my laws. They know my righteous standards. No other nation in, on the face of this earth would fit that. No Gentile nation, as we can think about. <clears throat> Point D, let's keep going. But now, in Christ, the Jews and Gentiles are our mission field. So that's 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33. Let's look at this. So as, as the Jews, for the Jews, the, the Gentiles were the mission field. But for the church now, right, who's the mission field? The Jews and the Gentiles. So 32, and this is 1 Corinthians 10, 32 and 33. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. So notice, this is everyone. That's in the world. Who is it? Jews, Greeks, and the Greeks are representative for Gentiles here. So you could say Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God. Obviously, <clears throat> when it comes to causing someone to stumble uh, from eating food that was sacrificed to idols in, in the you know in the marketplace, then you shouldn't cause any offense to anybody whether they be in these categories. And these are the categories of where people are. But notice, the church of God is saved. Everybody in the church is saved, but anybody who's a Jew or a Greek or, or a Gentile is not saved. So <clears throat> the mission field went from Gentiles to now Jews and Gentiles. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of the many, so that they may be saved. So, 
Church is already saved. <clears throat> you have to come through the gospel to get into the church. But Jews and Gentiles are not. Uh, so this is, this is the difference between, there's a change for what Israel had to focus on and now what the church has to focus on. Point D. Is that D? Yeah, no, we already covered D. Point E, let's keep going. <clears throat> grafted into, and, and contrary to nature, we were grafted into, we're grafted into, into in a cultivated olive tree. So point E is grafted into that thought. The church is not grafted into Israel. That's, <clears throat> that would be a mistake to say. If we were to say church is grafted, and now we are all Israel, or spiritual Israel or something. So, but what we would say is we are grafted into Israel's role. And what is that? That is, we're ministers of reconciliation, we're ambassadors of Christ. That's where, what you're going to find in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. But who are uh, those who have been given that? It's anybody who is in Christ. This is the new creation. That's who it is. So we are grafted um, so we're grafted into that role. We're, the church is not Israel. We're not under the Mosaic law or any uh, under any circumstances. And the church is not a nation. The church is in every nation. We've covered a lot of this already, so hopefully this shouldn't be something we have to spend a lot more time on, but hopefully we've demonstrated that. Point F. Cultivated olive tree. So, uh, so cultivated as opposed to wild olive tree. Cultivated olive trees are, are, are given care. Wild olive trees grow in the wild. No care. Or, 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 or I should say, or cultivating. The cultivated trees produce olives and olive oil. Uh, more flavorful as opposed to the wild trees. So this is what got me reading a lot about, well, what's up with these olive trees, right? Let's, let's talk about it a little bit. How does this work? So when I was in Israel, I actually got to see olive trees. They are just all over the place. Uh, but they have olive groves. There's, <clears throat> there's where they have cultivated them. But then you could just be walking down the street and then there's a tree and you say, what kind of tree is that? It's an olive tree. They grow quite often and everywhere. But the ones that are taken care, are cultivated, are cared for, I guess they put the proper fertilizer and everything in it, to, they water them, whatever they need, because the fruit that comes from, what we call fruit is olives, <clears throat> the fruit that comes from the cultivated olive trees is eaten. Like, you can eat olives. Uh, but the fruit that comes from the wild olive, tree, olive trees is not eaten, generally speaking. So, um, so it's interesting when you think about what's the difference between the two. Olive trees grow in the wild. Uh, they produce olives that are not for consumption. They may make oil out of them, but they don't use them for, for you know, to eat. Whereas the cultivated olive trees, everything's good. 
So there's a difference there. And when we think about it, and I, I was looking at, <clears throat> even looked at what it is to graft. Now you should probably know what grafting is, how you can graft a branch from a wild olive tree into a cultivated olive tree. And if you haven't seen that, you can look online. There's pictures of how they do it. Uh, but I was looking at it, and I said, oh, well, one website, I didn't actually put the websites in, but one website had uh, where it said that the cultivated, or the branches from the wild olive tree don't necessarily, just because they're grafted into the cultivated olive tree, all of a sudden now they produce good fruit. They said usually it doesn't work that way. But then I thought, yeah, this is just an analogy. I don't think you can really take it that far. It's something that is around Israel uh, that they see all the time, that Paul picks up and decides he's going to use as an analogy here. about the olive. Well, the olive tree is not new to, because uh, we, we do see it in the Old Testament. So Paul's picking that up. Jews would understand this. They would understand Paul's point to make here about the wild, the Gentiles, the cultivated Israel. Right? So, But what we need to understand out of this is the roles that are assigned here. That's what's important. So the Gentiles, no care, no cultivating. The, the cultivated olive tree or Israel, God groomed them. He invested in them. He put his law Right, the feast days, the holy days, all of that was a part of a story that the whole nation was to tell the world. And uh, obviously we know Israel failed, but we're getting ready to come up on verses that are going to talk about Israel succeeding. So just to note, that was point F. Let's keep it going. We're going to look at... Uh, Number three now, which is how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be, be grafted into their own olive tree? Remember, we were saying all this because Paul did not want us to get uh, beside ourselves into thinking that, well, we know the gospel. <clears throat> Why don't they understand it? Uh, we're superior to, to them. Now, it could be that type of attitude that Gentiles could have or those who have Gentile uh, cultures that were grafted into the church. You, you might say into this role. Um, what is, I would think Paul is making this point because I, for some reason I never thought that Israel was beneath me or Jews were beneath me. However, I could see this perhaps happening because Jews were really discriminative about Gentiles. They were, in fact, you know, as Gentiles, they wouldn't even go into a Gentile's house. I mean, it was, it was really, they were very prejudiced against Gentiles. And um, so maybe what Paul is saying is, that now the Jews are the ones that are blind in this regard. They don't see Christ. They just don't. For what they've resisted and resisted and resisted. And now 
the Gentiles are in a position of giving them the gospel. So don't get, don't get beside yourself. Don't get arrogant. Uh, calm yourself. That is not, uh, this is not God's way. He can graft them in again. So don't, don't get arrogant here. Thinking you're so much better now. <clears throat> don't, don't think of it that way. And remember this role that we're playing as far as God's ambassadors here on the ground. That role doesn't belong to us, but we're, it's temporary. It's their role. So let's get into point number three. As I say, the grafting process is cumbersome. Sometimes it would take and the branch would continue to produce fruit. Sometimes it would not take and no fruit or it would die. But this is just an analogy. And I said, although God is using it as an analogy to show that the church is in this role now, <clears throat> we've been grafted in. He can certainly make it work. So there's no like, well, maybe it'll take and maybe it won't. No, no, it will work because God will make it work. God is the one who grafted us in. So into this role. So certainly it will work. Now, whether it works or not depends on us. Remember, we, could talk, we talked about the discipline. Watch out. Israel was disciplined. We could also be disciplined. So, so of course it will work. Uh, it's cumbersome, though. The fact that we are do, we're playing a role that was really never designed for us. But yet, we are able to assume that role and give glory to God in doing the very thing, which is giving the gospel of grace to the world. Point B, natural branches. How much more will these natural branches? Let's talk about that. So God founded the nation Israel on his principles, as we said. There is no Gentile nation in this foundation, with this foundation. And there are none, no Gentile nations. So, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who want to make their nation after Israel. But no Gentile, no Gentile nation has the Mosaic law as their foundation. Now, they may have borrowed some principles from the Mosaic Law or from other laws or what seems right to them, but God is the one who gave uh, the nation Israel when it was established what his righteous standards are. No other nation has that. And I say none, and as a reminder to those who would subscribe to American Christianity, I call it American Christianity, but, but there are others who would say it's whatever their Christianity is, whatever their nation is, British or Australian. They're going to say God is blessing them like he was blessing Israel. And uh, I also mention that one thought because people have tried to see places like the United States as God's nation. And they have tried to apply the rules, principles, that apply to Israel to this nation. And that is not the case. Uh, God tells us clear, which we're going to get to in Romans 12. It's going to be it's very clear to me that if God wanted to tell us as Christians uh, how to, that we were supposed to be Israel or behave as a nation, that he would have told us in Romans 12 where, and 13, where he details that we are to be subject to the laws of the nation to which we belong. 
or that we're in, that we find ourselves in. We are not to go in and think that we're some kind of nation of ourselves. That is not the case. So I would say that goes for whatever nation would love to say, oh, well, this nation was founded on the principles of God, and, and we have God in our constitution, and this and that. Well, no. This nation is not God's nation. God only has one nation, and that nation was created through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He chose that nation. Imagine another nation trying to claim the prerogatives of God because you know they have borrowed some principles from the Mosaic Law. It'd be like trying to put Ishmael over Isaac and say, "Oh, well, we get to, it doesn't matter. Isaac, Ishmael doesn't really matter. No." It does matter to God. So there is no other nation that is like Israel. God's vision, his foreknowledge, and predestination of Israel is unique. It's unique in all the world. And there are none that can match what God has done. He will restore Israel when the time, when the time does come for that. We're coming to those verses very soon here. So that is important to remember because many have deviated from God's plan for the church thinking that somehow we have to behave as Israel behaved. Not so. We're not under the law. Right? This is, we're not the natural branches. But they are. And if, if God can graft them in again, that is a very possible scenario. So point C, let's keep going. Natural branches grafted into, right, again, believing Jews taking their role, but not in the nation Israel, but in the church. So God is able to graft these natural, it seems easy to think about it. The Jews have the culture that God instilled in them. Uh, and so for them to assume, let's say they were unbelieving Jews like the Apostle Paul I gave last week was a good example. He was an unbeliever. He, he was, even though he was a Pharisee, he was an unbeliever. And he was going against Christ, persecuting the church, on and on. Christ said, why, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's when it all started for the Apostle Paul. But the, um, the attitude that Paul had was very uh, determined to stamp out anything that was associated with Christ. He just saw Christ as some imposter, some person, a blasphemer that was worthy of death. And anybody who followed him was also worthy of death. And he went out and did his best to, to stamp out any uh, thing, church. The church had to go into hiding because of people like Saul. So, of course, God is able to graft the natural branches. So, so, so what did Saul, he, not only did he become a believer, God didn't say, okay, Saul, you now you can be Paul if you, that's the name, but now I want you to sit all the way in the back of the church. The last pew is there for you. You just sit there and shut up. I don't want to hear anything from you. You just sit here. You're in it. No, that's not how God did it. 
God said, Saul, Paul, let me tell you how much you're going to suffer, and but I'm going to make you an apostle. I'm going to give you the gift of apostleship. And here we have a former Pharisee. And then you have people in the church that were nervous about it. They say, he's coming to church today? Really? That's a trick. He's coming to round us up. And they were afraid of who... They, they didn't believe that his conversion was real. But it was. It was real. And Paul was on the side. He was a servant. He said he was a slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he, he saw it. And so, of course, God could graft them in. And he, he gives them the role that they are used to. Right? This is what they should have been doing when they were in the nation Israel. And they did not. So, remember, it's the church that we are now into. And in the church, there is no Jew. There is no Gentile. We are all one in Christ. So there's no... Um, going back to Jewish ways or, or, or trying to, you know, persuade people to be Jewish in any way. None of that is in the church because we're not Jews. We're not Gentiles. So what is the focus in the church? It's the gospel. And I like the, the thought of First Timothy 2, um, 2 and 3, where it says, it's God's will that all men be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. Those two things. Full knowledge of the truth is orienting to the age that we're in so that we can um, fulfill our purpose for what God called us as heavenly people uh, to, to, uh, to this world. So we have to orient and we have to understand our role that we are assuming for Israel. So point D Point D, Israel's special holy days. Now, there were seven of them. Just like we might have seven holidays in this country. Well, we got Memorial Day. We got, well, there's some presidents that we do honor. Then there's Memorial Day and Fourth of July and Labor Day and Thanksgiving. And, you know, there may be more I'm missing. But, um, but that's how, what this nation decided was important and said let's celebrate these days well for the jews there were seven what god called holy days they were they were sabbaths all of these days were what god would call sabbaths or holy days there was no work to be done on these days it was a special day to commemorate whatever god was trying to teach through these days, and I'll just name them. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about them, but I just thought when we talked about how it's a cultivated olive tree and how God uh, groomed it and all of that and invested in this nation, this is how he designed it. So there was uh, Passover is one, and then uh, we, we've heard about the Passover for sure. Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's the first fruits, which is also important to us because we know uh, the first fruits is um, also Pentecost, is when uh, the day of Pentecost and uh, happened in the book of Acts when that is the inauguration of the church, Pentecost. It happened on that day. Four, Feast of Weeks. Five, Feast of Trumpets. 
sixth most solemn day in Israel's uh, list of holy days is the Day of Atonement. Uh, this is where the cleansing of the sanctuary would happen. Every year, once a year, they would go through this, what we call Day of Atonement. I think they call it Yom Kippur. Uh, and then seven, Feast of Tabernacles. All of this is, I'm just listing this because God had to groom, this is a cultivated olive tree. How so? Well, we were defining what makes Israel different from other nations. And even if a nation decided, we're going to adopt all that, they still wouldn't be Israel. God, special nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I mean, how he established Israel. He will, he will be faithful to the promises made to Israel. And all of that will come to pass. Let's keep going. We're coming up. Uh, point E. The role is the same. What is the role that we play in the church for Israel while they're sleeping, as we said? Um, we bring the gospel. We teach the gospel. And we be a witness on the ground. Those are the things that are important for us in our age. So we're, we're ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation. So these are the things that we do. We bring the gospel to the world. We tell them about grace. God is not counting your sins against you. We let them know about how it's free, does not cost anything. How Who we are in, in Adam, dead in our transgressions and sins, unrighteous, condemned, sin nature, all those things. We have to go out and tell the good news and, and to be a witness. All of this is important for us in the role that we have. It's the same role Israel was supposed to have. Although, uh, Israel didn't, as we know, perform to God's standards. So he had to discipline the nation many times. So F... They'll be cultivated, notice, into their own olive tree, the natural branches. Notice their own olive tree. So when Israel awakes from slumber, which is coming soon in our verses, I don't know about as far as human history is concerned, but they will resume their role, but under the new covenant. So we look at that as uh, Romans, where we are in the next few verses coming up. Well, let's look at it. I'll read them, 26 and 27. So, uh, well, we could continue. I'll read 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So we're going to um, obviously cover these verses in much more detail uh, as we are now. We'll take our time with them, but uh, they're important verses as far as our understanding of dispensational theology. So we need to have a good grasp of how God is working out these things. And so um, we're going to just look at the last point in this, and then we'll 
prepare for some Q&A. But notice, it is their own olive tree. It's not ours, for we are not of this world. And this is found in John 17 and 16. So it's their own olive tree. So we're grafted in while we're playing a role, but this is really not our role to play for this world. This is God's designated nation. It's their role to play. And boy, when you see Israel in the tribulation, you see them operating just as God designed. With courage, with power, and even though they're persecuted, they continue to show faithful. Uh, There's the 144,000. There's a lot of themes uh, that Israel will be proud of when the dust settles. They will do God's will, just as God saw from eternity past. But notice, it's their olive tree. This is God's choice in the nation to, he designed the nation so that it would be a model nation for the whole world to see. So we're going to stop right now and see if there are any questions out there. We'll pause just to give you some time to, but the floor is open and and we'll pause. Yeah, uh, hi, I got I just had one thought. Sure. In regard ahead. to um, the grafting, the subject, subject and object of the grafting, and that is, um, so I understand that. You know, obviously, we are not being grafted into the nation of Israel, um, nor are we spiritual Israel, as you said, or spiritual Jews, um, but we are grafted into what we could call um, Israel's role. And I was wondering, um, well, my, my thought was that um, I appreciate that when you clarified what you meant by that term. So we are God's, you know, visible representation on earth. There is a mission field. We are called as ambassadors into that, onto that mission field. Um, but that's only in regard to, and I understand the rule is different for the church, but the grafting into Israel, as far as that role is concerned, um, is really only touching on the basics of what the church is all about. You know, because we know that there is also the mystery, the understanding of, of God's eternal plan, um, which was not revealed to the nation Israel. It was hidden from, from them. So our role is, is uh, not limited to the role that Israel had in that regard. Am I understanding that correctly? Because we can go further with a person. You know, we bring somebody to the truth, and they understand the the, um, gospel of salvation by grace, but then we can go further. We can lead them into all truth because we are giving the spirit of truth. Yes, I I would say, yeah, you, I would. Go ahead. 
I would say, yes, you're seeing that correctly, yeah. And it may not be uh, just something that an average person would just read and just, oh, yeah, it's this way. It's Oh, it's not into Israel, it's into the role. But, but I think as we look at this and really examine the context, it, it does support the fact that we don't own this role. And this role belongs to Israel. It, it never is going to be something that we're a nation and that God's plan and creating Israel, you know, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then bringing them out of Egypt and establishing the nation at Mount Sinai and all of giving them the law and all these different things. That, that purpose for, of God has not been thwarted by Satan. God will fulfill that purpose. So Israel's coming back, and they're going to continue. However, it says they're sleeping right now. They're in spirit of slumber. But while they're sleeping, and they've been sleeping for a long time, <laughs> then we have the church been go has been going on for over 2,000 years now. And uh, so we are not Israel, never have been. And if Jews who are within that 2,000-year period and, and still going decide that they believe in Christ now, what happens to them? Do they just go back to migrate to the nation Israel that's on earth now? No, <laughs> they're part of the church. So I just want to point those things out because if you go back and look at Israel, the church wasn't in the economy. It wasn't in the Old Testament. You're not going to see anything as far as Israel was concerned about a church. There was no church until now. We have to factor in what God has done. And like you said, there's so much more to the church than just giving, giving the gospel. I mean, we have information that was hid in God before time began. And I would say, I, would, I really feel like, why hasn't the church zeroed in on this information as uh, super important? Top secret. Now it's revealed. Um, I would think this would be the, the the main focus of the church. Obviously, continue to make sure we uphold the role that God has given us. But man, to see the role that God has given us as far as the mystery and all the who we are in Christ, the new creation, all of those things are the much more information that uh, you were referring to so yes we we have to be able to understand the language of Paul because you know he's talking he's hoping to make Israel envious uh, so we have been given their role this is what they were supposed to be doing <laughs> some of them I'm sure have seen this and have come to Christ as a result of this, and are firmly now in uh, in Christ, preaching the gospel, fulfilling the role that their ancestors were given to to fulfill. So, a good point to make is yes, that is so much more for us, 
and there's going to be a, so much more for them. I think when we think about Israel, we would have to say the best is yet to come. I'll pause. I, I appreciate that. I, I know um, one of the things that I'm thinking of is in Ephesians chapter 3 that we talk about what this mystery is and that it be um, something that is in Christ through the gospel. Mm-hmm. And this gospel mission is is what we're talking about in, in Romans 11, pretty much. Um, we, we've got more than that, though. But certainly there is a starting place and it's, it's a prerequisite information, really. The, the, um, I think the Holy Spirit needs to have a humble heart to land on um, in order to guide them into all truth. And such a foundational part of that is understanding um, what salvation is, what salvation by grace means. True, true. The more we understand salvation by grace, we're understanding uh, the very thing that Israel should have been preaching to the world. And uh, this is we th- two things God did that was just fantastic. Obviously, He brought you know He He brought a Savior into the world through Israel. That was key. But even before the Savior got here. Israel had the task of presenting the gospel to the nations. That's a, a huge task, a very important task. Uh, and they had the Mosaic Law, and, and you know the, all the feast days, and you know the culture was uh, intertwined with God's thinking and what He wanted the nations to to know of the distinctiveness of who He was, and so forth. But it, as we said, Israel didn't reflect that. They didn't do a good job in reflecting that. Uh, but yet, as we said, they're, they're going to do it. But what we have, we're, ne- we're not of this world. As I said in John seventeen sixteen, where Jesus says, They are not of this world any more than I am of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. That's 17. But the thought there is... God has a a different plan for us that is not of this world. And this role that we're talking about is of this world. So you could see why it talks about their own olive tree and so forth, because our role is, is not with reference to this world. It is in the heavenly realms. So... God, just talking about the best is yet to come for Israel. Well, the best is also yet to come for the church. And some of that we can see in Romans 8. It talks about all creation waits eagerly, with eager anticipation, to see the sons of God revealed. And boy, <laughs> what I could, I could think about those verses. I don't know. How, i got to go back and look at the commentaries and see what they've done with these verses because, man, these verses are off the chart about who we are in Christ, about what we are in Christ. 
and what our role is for the new creation, I think is off the chart. Uh, anybody can just read those verses, but man, what what is God trying to tell us and about ourselves? You know, so it's quite interesting which is to come for us. We got a lot to look forward to, and so does Israel. But there's a lot of history left, important history, where God's going to. It's like he said, and Christ says, when the Spirit comes, he will tell you of things yet to come. And that's true. We've learned about a clear vision of what the history, the, uh, the whole human history is, and how it will all play out with factoring in the mystery which was hidden and now is revealed. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for, for that thought. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll kick the ball back in your court or others. Uh, any follow-up or other thoughts out there as well? Just an amen to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is... Um, I, when I so this verse sort of is the last verse in this section of verses that helped us not to be arrogant and understand, take a look at ourselves. But um, we're going to now start talking about the summation of things and how it all works out and how God's thinking in all of this and how Israel is still going to be Israel and we're still going to be the church when all is said and done. It's not going to be, we're just one big happy family. Israel's over. We're all a part of Israel now. That's not what it's saying at all. Uh, you know, I guess it helps us to integrate what we now know as the wisdom of God into what God's previous revelation was. We don't want to just say, oh, we're the church and we're separate from Israel. And we don't care about Israel. No, we do care. And man, the mercy of God, <coughs> the long-suffering and kindness and gentleness of God and dealing with these wayward people is evidence of the fact of who he is. Um, he does not cast Israel aside. He does not forget his people which he foreknew. I mean, it's... We might have that attitude about Israel because of all that they have done, but God doesn't. As soon as they turn, and that is the same thing he says, <coughs> excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 3. So even though they were, they hated him and they resisted him, he says in um, <coughs> 2 Corinthians 3, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. Now here it is. But when, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, it's just a matter of changing their mind and believing in Christ. All of that, God will show them his eternal purpose and what it was all about <clears throat> in the first place. So, 
I will pause. This is this is for you guys. I don't want to take up all the time. Other thoughts out there? All right. Go in once. Go in twice. I'll just have one more. Oh, oh sure. Go one right more ahead. thought to that. But, sure. Uh, um, clearly, you can you can see that there is um, the absence of what a lot of people focus on, a lot of churches will focus on, and that is a behavioral modification system. Right. And we see that in, you know, when we're talking about the role and we're talking about being administers of the, of the gospel, we're not talking about behavior. Um, you know, behavior of the nation of Israel and what they were called to do um, as the nation of Israel with all their laws and everything. Um, and that was, you know, very different from what the church's calling was. And we see, and I think it was pointed out before, and we see a lot of the, um, the behavioral issues that Paul is bringing up, he's bringing up for a purpose. He's not telling people what to do um, um, more than he is telling them after they are saved. He's talking to believers, but he's talking to them about the quality of the relationship that they have with God, the humility they have with the the Holy Spirit, instead of grieving the Holy Spirit. And um, so we got to understand that that role, that grafting in, is not about getting people to say, see, we, we have this authority now, so we can tell you what to do. It's mm. not about that at all. Not at all. Um, and you're right. I think a lot of churches have misinterpreted their role. They haven't done a good job in separating out what's what is salvation and what is the Christian way of life since they have merged the two and made it um, that you know we should see our salvation as those who can somehow shoulder the Christian way of life yeah, I used to say it like this I used to, it, w- it would be better for some in the religious realm if God would have said, whoever shall climb Mount Everest, the same shall be saved. And then you could see people all along the way to, you know, climbing Mount Everest. Well, I'm up a quarter of the way. I'm up three. three I'm almost at the top. I'm on, And you see people all along the path. But that's not what salvation by grace is all about. There are no standards for salvation. Now that sounds really, really uh, lawless of me to say that, but it's true. There are no standards. How can there be standards when God says it's by grace, it's not of ourselves, it's the gift, it's not even by works done in righteousness. So how can there be standards for salvation? There are none. This is why we say come as you are. Don't worry about cleaning yourself up. Just come. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? It's not, there's no prerequisites that you need to do before you become saved, before you believe in Christ and, and have eternal life, other than understanding what the issues of the gospel are. That would be God the Holy Spirit's job and 
and those who have boots on the ground could possibly play a role. But uh, we have nothing to do with our spiritual birth. We can't do anything about that. Uh, so, but yeah, <clears throat> they have merged these responsibilities and then notice that God does have standards. Uh, he Just because he paid for all the sins does not mean he loves sin somehow. Or that sin is okay now. It isn't God still. I mean, the fact that he judged sin, he's satisfied. But that doesn't mean he likes sin now. So we have to understand that God does have standards of conduct for believers. We have to understand what the limits of those standards are. What will happen? What's the worst that could happen to us? We need to understand the limits so that we know we are securely in God's hands, securely in God's hands. And we cannot lose the gift that he has given us that was given on the basis of no works and all that. So there are no contradictions in the Bible. We're not especially. This will be a huge contradiction that God says, it's a gift, it's free, not of works. But then because you don't work, that he takes away the gift. I mean, that's a major contradiction. I don't know why people don't readily see that for what it is, but it is major contradiction. Tell me don't work. Now I lose my salvation because I did not work. Uh, that's That sounds crazy, I would just say, for somebody to tell me that. I'd be confused if I were at a hired for a job and they told me to sit down and do nothing. And then I was fired. Because I sat down and did nothing. Anyway, that's the thought. Yeah, It's very confusing, which is why we are in place as well. It would just say, be to say, you know, I just chalk it up by saying we have a lot of work to do. That's what we have to do. We have a lot of work to do. I'll pause. Thank you. Thank you for having that. All right. Other thoughts out there? I'll pause for a sec just to be sure. I just have just one thought. How would this affect them in Revelation? Like, you know, okay, in, 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 in the coming years. How will it affect who, Dave? The um, it, it, it's Israel. How will it affect them? Yes, well, yes. Like I mean, like your um, when we uh, Romans eleven, how, how would that affect them? Well, I mean, what's going to happen? Uh, in fact, we're going to cover those verses, and pretty good time here coming up. But just to note, God has a plan to restore Israel back to um, a nation again. Now, I know, I know, you might say, well, there's a nation over there now that's called Israel. And uh, isn't that what we're talking about? No, that's not what I'm talking about. If you read Revelation uh, chapter 7, you will see God does restore the nation Israel back to uh, 
what his plan so that he can continue to use Israel in this world as those as as God's representatives in the world. It won't be the church because the church won't be here. <laughs> we'll be gone. We'll be raptured, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So we won't we won't be here. It, but Israel will. That, that role, which we've been talking about, uh, will fall on their shoulders. And um, now that they understand the new covenant, they will be God's witnesses to preach the everlasting gospel to those who dwell on the earth. So Israel will be back in play. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of that in more detail, obviously. Well, according to the verses that are in front of us, so... Uh, but I'm, I don't know if that's what you mean or not. Is that what you mean? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. But I'd say even though we're reading this, to me what is interesting as well is what happens to the church. So Israel's got a future. So does the church. <laughs> so we'll get to... Both of those, as we uh, uh, we get to, especially the scripture says, well, what about us now? Well, what's Israel to us? Well, they're enemies. We'll have to discuss that, understand what the, what God means when He says they're enemies, as far as the gospel is concerned, because they're still unbelieving. And enemies, they will persecute you. Be careful. So, we'll talk about it as we get to it. Other thoughts out there? I'll pause for a moment. All right. Silence. It says we probably should close then. So let's do this. We'll get, get you guys back four minutes. We're going to close. Let's bow our heads as we do. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We thank you for the verses that were in front of us. We pray as we continue our journey in Romans chapter 11 that you will continue to illuminate these things so we can see exactly eye to eye with you on these verses of Scripture so that this is, becomes part of our understanding as well. Thank you for the elaboration, the detail given to us here. Father, we thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for each person, their safety in this world. Uh, not only that, we pray for believers in every nation, wherever they are, that are uh, part of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for them and their safety. And ask, Father, that you would use us as, uh, as a witness to those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.